A little hidden history, a little pedagogy, a lot of ways we can improve our teaching and mindset so that our history and social studies classrooms tell a more complete, diverse human story. I'm Cheryl Ann Amendola, and this is the Teaching History Her Way podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Teaching History Her Way podcast. My name is Cheryl Ann Amendola, and I am your host. If this is your first time listening, welcome. I am so super glad you're here and that you've decided to join us. And if you're a return listener, thank you so very, very much for coming back. If at any point you decide you maybe want to leave a review of the podcast, I would be more than happy if you did that. Five stars, though, please. So... Tonight on the podcast, we have a really special guest because it's my best friend since college. And I'm so, so very, very excited that she's here and you're going to love her as much as I love her. And it's going to be great because one day I went to Twitter and I said, hey, I'm looking for some people to interview for my podcast. What do you think? We talk about history. We talk about histories that we don't talk about all the time. And Meredith was like, hey, I know a whole lot about Nellie Bly. And then I was like, oh my God, Nellie Bly, because I really like Nellie Bly too. So it's going to be a really great interview because you are going to find number one, that Meredith is really exciting to listen to. Number two, that Nellie Bly is really exciting to hear about. And number three, she's a really easy fit if you're just starting a women's history curriculum and you need a place to put it, or if you are really into women's history, but you haven't really covered her yet. Did you know that only 13% of historical figures in textbooks are women? That's it, 13%. Yet, women's history is half of history. So you can't be what you can't see, according to the New York Historical Society's Women and the American Story program. So tonight, we bring you a woman who deserves to be seen, Meredith and Nellie. Hi, Mer. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to join your podcast and talk a little bit about the fabulous Nellie Bly and offer a perspective that many may not know about. I'm really glad you're here too. So I'm going to brag on you a little bit. Meredith has been in education for 16 years, spending three years of that time teaching social studies and science to sixth grade students. The majority of her career has been focused on special education as an inclusion teacher, where she had the opportunity to teach social studies focusing on early America. Meredith graduated from Seton Hall University in 2006 with a degree in education, majoring in special education, elementary education, and history. She has always had a passion for American history and wrote her senior seminar thesis on Nellie Bly's piece, 10 Days in a Madhouse, and the response to her experience at Blackwell's Island. Welcome, Mer. And I'm really excited about Nellie Bly because she is amazing. I was telling my boys that their Aunt Mare was coming on to talk about this woman and they asked who she was and what she did. And when I got into it, they were like, Nellie Bly did what? And I'm not telling you audience because that's what Meredith is here to do. So Meredith, who's Nellie Bly and why'd you write about her? So in college for my senior seminar class, um, the professor that I had was really into the Gilded Age. That was like her specialty, what she researched and what she kind of was the authority on. So it was a broad general of the Gilded Age. And within it, I was able to fine tune of finding Nellie Bly, one of the original stunt girls of journalism, um, who actually kind of created a movement from her response of um, 10 Days in a Madhouse. Other women kind of followed in her footsteps with that investigative, like, go behind the scenes and be that person in journalism. Um, So... Do you want me to touch a little bit about the Gilded Age for some of our listeners? Yes, please. 
Okay, so the Gilded Age was a period approximately from 1870 to 1900. There was a lot going on. It was like the beginning of the monopolies. Like you see the Carnegie's Standard Oil, um, the wave of immigration um, to America. Um, And also within that period, I feel like there's not enough emphasis on the movement on labor conditions. At that time, labor conditions were very poor. Um, and a lot of movement of this journalism, of this investigative journalism, came forward and brought a lot of social change for a lot of people working in these conditions. Um, and the term um, the Gilded Age actually came from Mark Twain and Charles Budley's Warner's um, 1873 novel, Gilded Age, The Tale of Today. So the Gilded Age like, is kind of like masking that thin golding. Like everything looked great on the outside, but it really wasn't. There was a lot of poverty happening. And you see this one snippet of history of everything was great and wonderful, but it really wasn't. So Nellie Bly worked for the New York World um, newspaper who was publisher by, um, published, actually, sorry, by um, Joseph Pulitzer. So who we all know as a famous publisher. Um, this newspaper kind of focused on the term like sensationalism, where they kind of got into the gritty kind of like tabloidy topics. If you if you want to say that tabloids like comparing it from then till now. So in comes Nellie Bly. She wants to do this piece um, about going to Blackwell's Island. She's heard rumblings about Blackwell's Island that the conditions there are I'm going to be talking a little bit about the 10 days in a madhouse from the actual primary source. So just a small disclaimer, I'm using exact quotes from Nellie Bly's actual written um, article on 10 days of a madhouse. So I am going to be using words such as mentally insane, um, which were terms that were used to describe people who had mental issues during that time. So she decides that she's going to become mentally insane and go as a mentally insane person and go through the channels to get to the Blackwell's Island. Was investigative journalism kind of out of the realm of what a woman would do um, during this time period? Because up up until that time, women were really encouraged to stay in the home. During the Gilded Age, they were also encouraged to stay in the home, weren't they? Yeah, so it's kind of like the end of the Victorian era. So there's kind of like two parts to the Gilded Age. So women at that time, this was something very unique because they were more behind the scenes in journalism. They weren't the forefront. They were more like the byline girls. They were the ones that would write the little bylines to capture people's attention. And then usually it was more dominated by males of writing the actual article. Okay, so... Women at this time period, then they're, they're not really in the front, but they're trying to, they're trying to kind of break out of what was called the cult of domesticity that restricted their mothers. They're entering higher education. So like they're going to colleges is one of the first that allows women in, uh, they're working outside the home. Some are campaigning for the right to vote. Some are like kind of bubbling up and this is a little bit of what Bly does and building building on to the progressive era which is going to come next. Yes. So a lot of them like Bly and others were really brave during this time period. 
They were, they were. And it's also to note like the movement of social, social activism where suffrage has become like the forefront. Like a lot of women were kind of very upset because like when the 15th amendment was passed, they really weren't extended the right to vote. So they felt at this time, like they need to be seen, they need to be heard. So you see a lot of that social activism as well, but it kind of just like goes in like a circle with Nellie Bly's um, piece of social advocation for the women who were kind of held on Blackwood's Blackwell's Island. So what's going on on Blackwell's Island when Bly gets there? So Bly gets there. So do you want me to tell a little bit of the backstory and how she kind of pulled this all off? Because it's kind of remarkable how she figured she did the, the steps to actually get there. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so basically, it all begins with with the idea of her pitching the story to the New York world of her be, for her to get to Blackwell's Island by making herself insane. So she studied herself, she kind of played the acting of becoming insane and began going by going, excuse me, to a home um, for working women. So from there, she started the process and she figured, oh, I'm going to get kicked out and get picked up by the police. The police are going to take me to court and then they're going to take me to the hospital. And then from there, I'm going to convince them and then I'm going to make it to Blackwell's Island. All of that happens where she just didn't sleep for days. Whoa. She didn't sleep for days. She refused to sleep the first two nights that she was at the um, women's home. Um, She basically made indications that she was afraid of the people. So like it kind of put a bug in the matron's ear, the woman who ran the facility, like, Hey, like something's not right here. Let's, let's see what happens. So from there she was arrested and then put into um, Bellevue hospital where she spent a couple of days there. They, she talked to doctors and they deemed her insane And then she was transported on this rickety boat with filthy conditions to Blackwell's Island. It's amazing to me that someone can get that deep into their work. And I know a lot of actors and actresses do that, but for a journalist to be able to do that, it's, that's an incredible story. Yes. The fact that she was doing it to help the mentally ill when during the time, as you'll tell us later, mentally ill people were cast to the side. They were outcast from society. So not only is she taking on this role that's really difficult and subjecting herself to something terrible, but she's doing it out of this care for other people. Yes. Yes. So she had the care for other people. She wanted to expose the truths. And that's what she set out to do. She didn't want to do a sensationalized piece. And in fact, she was actually told by her editor to only report on the truth. Do not sensationalize it. So this was a piece that really came from the truths of her experience, because at the time there was yellow journalism, there was sensationalized to, to, to sell more copies of things. So they had faith in her. She gets to Blackwell's Island and it is absolutely 100% deplorable conditions. Um, the things that she described of how the treatment of these women and the conditions they lived in and the food they were provided was awful. Awful. Tell us a little bit more. 
So basically, so the food, she describes her first meal there once she was in her intake happened and she was given bread, this like hard, crusty piece of bread with this inedible butter on top. One meal was like two tablespoons of soup and prunes. Um, So the food there wasn't, it was often spoiled, not seasoned, bland, rotted, rotted. Like she describes one time that she found a spider in her bread. Gross. So that was just mealtime. Then she explains how the treatment, the nurses, the way that they treated the patients, often using force, um, giving them cold baths one after the other, not changing the water and providing them with one towel that they all shared to dry off. Um, I mean, this is really, really deplorable conditions of not helping these women um, with their needs. They kind of just put them as like into the dredges of society. And it, it just was really, really heartbreaking to like read all of that. And they're obviously already sick. Yes. They all have a, a lot of them have a lot of, of mental illness of different nature um, and they weren't getting the support they needed. They were just like chastised and made fun of and beaten. So, so far what I'm hearing is my teacher mind is continuing to work uh, based on her story. And mm-hmm. I'm hearing a class uh, in sociology. I- I'm hearing a class when even a health class, when we're talking about mental health, I'm hearing about women's history here. So there's a lot going on with Nellie Bly and also, if you stop to think for a minute, I mean, she worked before she worked for Joseph Pulitzer. She worked for a uh, for a newspaper in Pittsburgh. Yes. And she ended up quitting because they they wouldn't let her do stories like this. They assigned her to the society page because yes. she's a woman coming out of the work, coming out of the home. But they still consider her to be a woman who needs to do and talk about womanly things. And what she is yes. doing is really hard work that. Uh, that the paper in Pittsburgh, the dispatch totally underestimated her for. So Joseph Pulitzer is putting a lot of faith in her. Not only is she getting an opportunity as a female journalist, which is a hard work and luck coming together, but she's also getting to do this incredible story. So how long did she stick around uh, in the asylum? So she was in there for 10 days. So the way that it all went down was she just reported on her 10 days. And then there was a lawyer that basically came in and she was freed. And then she went back and reported her story as like her, her primary piece. So the aftermath of this was like, whoa, like we got to do something here. So she went back, she went into court after the whole thing And there was a grand jury investigation. And magically, when they went to tour Blackwell's Island, the jury and the judge, everything was in pristine condition. Shocking. So the boat that Nellie Bly went on was fixed or was replaced. Um, They had proper wash basins for the women. There were no cold baths. The food was edible. So as a result of this, $1 million was given to Blackwell's Island for the benefit of the insane. That's not a little bit of money at this time period. No, considering that she paid her room at the uh, women's uh, boarding house was 30 cents a night. 
What? Yes. <laughs> wow. So, so putting that into perspective, um, because of her story, the city of New York gave $1 million to better the treatment of the insane and give them human-like conditions. So if I were teaching a civics class, perhaps, Nellie Bly would be another really great example in my civics class because it shows what hard work can do and how it can push government to do the right thing. Yes, yes. So this piece did spur change and further along, like if you wanted to look at other um, stunt girl journalists, they also did pieces similar, not as intense as Nellie Bly, but one of them posed, for example, um, Winifred Sweet Bonifils was um, an undercover and she exposed um, working conditions. And Eva McDonald Vatesh, I apologize if I said her last name wrong, also working conditions in women's factories and improvements. So like these are three examples of women at the time who did change and, and got social um, activism going and awareness. So on that note, why do you encourage teachers to talk about women like Bly in their classrooms? What lessons can students learn from her and the other women that you just mentioned? It, it kind of goes twofold. It's kind of like, we don't want the history to be one-sided of the Gilded Age, because when you think of the Gilded Age, you think of Monopolies, you think of Rockefeller, you think of Carnegie. You want to kind of look at all the perspectives and these women such as Bly created such a like primary source for, I would say older students to digest. I wouldn't advise giving this to younger students just because of the detail, but for them to kind of digest and think like, wow, like let's take a look at the parallels that are happening right now in our country. There's a lot of social movement going on with so much, but like so many different issues that are in our society right now. So kind of looking at the parallels between the two, even though it's from two different time periods that, Hey, like one person can make a difference. One person can create a whole movement that has the change in the world. So in like a civics class, that kind of, especially the women aspect of showing that no matter what, anyone can change, be the change in the world. And whenever I studied the Gilded Age, we did that all as Gilded and Gold stuff. But yes. then we would talk about the Great Railroad Strike, or we would talk about the Haymarket Affair, or we would talk yes. about the AFL. And in talking about those things, yes, you're bringing to light the fact that the Gilded Age was not all gold, no. but also still focusing on men. Absolutely. It was all men. It was all men. And it wasn't, it wasn't a diverse perspective of the period. So, so bringing in Bly at Al makes it so that you're getting a more balanced view of what was happening. Yes, because it wasn't all great and wonderful. It was, there was a lot of, of poverty, like I said before, um, a lot of people not having the rights that they deserve, such as women in this example. Um, and, and just even her 10 days in a madhouse. I mean, she also went on to do other pieces around the world in 72 days and six months in Mexico, where she uncovered like so much more, um, about like the corruption of the Mexican government. Um, so she was actually a really fascinating lady who, who kind of paved the way 
for other women to stand up and believe in themselves. So she proved that women are able to write, that women are able to investigate, that women can travel, which is a thing that people thought women couldn't do. Um, That blows my mind as a woman who just likes to drop everything and go places. Um, And she, if you also want to bring in some other women, I mean, other people that you can study alongside of uh, Nellie Bly, you can bring in Ida B. Wells uh, and, and her work in uncovering lynchings in the South. So there are a lot of places that you can go uh, with Nellie Bly and the work that she did and a lot of women that you can put together so that you can have maybe a Gilded Age women's history unit. And I'm not saying that the other things that I said are not important. I mean, um, the Great Railroad Strike is obviously important, yes. uh, but women are important too. And they're making humongous contributions and yes. time and room for all of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like just looking at the different perspectives of the period, I mean, that goes for any period in history of looking at the different uh, perspectives. It's not just the one-sided of the one group of people. It's all of the people that were in that time period. Exactly. So with Bly and, and all of the other people that Meredith mentioned, Ida B. Wells, you can touch on what it means to be an American. You can touch Mm -hmm. on poverty and social change. You can touch on the beginnings of progressivism. You can touch on diversity. You can touch on civics. There are so many ways to bring this story and these women into your classroom. And if you're worried about standards, these people are hitting your standards also. Yes, yes, they are. They are. I mean, it's just kind of all twofold. Like, like, like you said, like how this all went to the progressive era and then like building on that and almost creating like a timeline of women change makers as well, like throughout just, even if it's just a focus on women's history month, you know what I mean? Of just focusing on those change makers, those outside the box change makers. Cause you think of women's history and the same people, like, I, I just remember learning about the same people over and over again when I was growing up and for some people, like to have a, a, some, a Nellie Bly may like spark a change in them or inspire them in some way. Especially for the girls in your classroom, because I never really knew when I was studying history that I, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I, I was just kind of like, all right, well, the boys are doing this. And then I remember, yes. I remember the first woman that I studied that was beyond like Betsy Ross sewing a flag. Yes. Yes. And it was Ida B. Wells yeah. and her getting death threats for doing the journalism that she was doing and, and thinking to myself, wow, this is an incredible story. And then I do remember hearing about Nellie Bly and my history teacher consistently in high school, trying to bring these women in to inspire the women in mm-hmm. her room. So uh, if you learn nothing from the podcast, one of the values here is representation matters and representing all of your people in your room matter. And you might just have a girl in your classroom, like Meredith said, who gets sparked by the story of why. Absolutely. No, that's great. So Meredith, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge of Nellie Bly because I'm really excited about her. Thank you. (laughs) And I hope listeners that you are too. 
Meredith, if a listener wants to get in touch with you just to ask you more about fly or talk to you, especially in your expertise and Meredith is an absolute expert in special education and combining it with social studies and science. I love hearing her talk about her classroom. We talk all summer. It's you're all teachers. You know, we don't leave it at school. Um, (laughs) We don't, we don't. (laughs) How can, how can someone who's listening get in touch with you? Would Twitter be okay? I have a Twitter. It is Mare underscore. So it's M-E-R-E underscore Forte. Um, if you follow teaching history, her way, you can find me on there because I'm also one of, um, the followers on teaching history, her way, or you can always ask Cheryl Ann for my email, um, my personal email address as well. So it actually was a real pleasure coming on today. I'm not going to lie. I was a little nervous (laughs) because I was like, I was a little rusty. This was from almost like 20 years ago. I can't believe I'm saying that like college was almost 20 years ago. So I had to do like a little bit of like reacclimating myself to, but it actually, when I was younger in college, kind of sparked me to not be the one sided of history and look at the diverse perspectives of different time periods. You just gave away how old we are. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't mean to give away how old we are, but I was just like, this has been a really long time. (laughs) My senior thesis. So (laughs) listeners, we graduated last year. We're both 22. (laughs) <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yes. Sometimes. Yes. Yes. Sometimes I like to think I'm closer to 20 than 40, but that's okay. It is okay. That just means we're making history too. We are women in history, Meredith. Yes, we are. We are we are doing our everyday work in the classroom and and really sparking change in our young students and giving them multiple perspectives, like I said before, and really, really, like I want them when they're older to realize that, wow, this wasn't a one-sided conversation. It was bringing all perspectives into it. Like I wish when I was younger, I had that growing up, not having the one like textbook perspective of history. Same, but that's why we're teachers, right? Absolutely, we're, we're there to change lives every day. All right, listeners, thank you so very much for joining us today. I hope you're feeling inspired. I am feeling inspired by my best friend, by Nellie Bly, thinking about Ida B. Wells and all the different ways that we can bring this into our classrooms, both during Women's History Month and all year long. If you are interested in a little bit more women's history, I know that I bring this resource up a lot, but the Women in the American Story Program at the New York Historical Society is a great place for you to go. You can visit them at whams.nyhistory.org. If you want to get in touch with Meredith, please don't hesitate to grab her on Twitter or email me and I'll send you her email address. If you'd like to get in touch with me between episodes, you can find me on Twitter at History Her Way or on Instagram at Teaching History Her Way, or you can head to my website, www.teachinghistoryherway.com. Thank you again so much for coming, and I will see you next time on the Teaching History Her Way podcast.